Welcome back to Set Free 24-7. I'm Robert, and I am happy that you're here to join us on today's episode, The Battle Within Ourselves. And boy, do we have a feast of insights and revelations on the menu today. In Matthew, we're going to dive right into the realm of the unpredictable, pondering Jesus's message about his return. It's the kind of mystery that keeps you at the edge of your seat. From there, we're going to go over and grapple with Paul's internal moral battle in Romans 7, 13 through 25. Have you ever felt like you're your own worst enemy? Paul gets it, and he's got some wisdom here to share. We're going to switch gears here and tune into Psalm 58, a stirring call for divine justice. What does righteousness look like in a world that often feels unfair? We're about to find out. And lastly, we're hopping into the time machine to visit Numbers 26 and 27. From censuses to successions, these chapters here offer us lessons on legacy and the importance of preparation for the next generation. So grab your spiritual armor and let's delve into these scriptures together. Trust me, by the end of this episode, you'll feel more equipped to tackle the battle within yourself and find the peace that sets us all free. Welcome to A Journey Through the Message. My name is Robert. And my name is Heidi. How are you today, love? I'm doing really good today. What a beautiful day it is. It is. Every day is. We're awake. We are cognizant. I know. Two (laughs) copies in. I'm ready for this. Oh, ready to rock and roll. I know. It's it's funny you say, you know, it's a beautiful day and some people be like, oh, it's overcast and oh, it was a little drizzly and oh, it's a little this. Sure. And it's so odd how my perspective is changing. And I even see that as a beautiful day. I'm like, oh, but look how the trees look completely different when it's kind of dark skies. And I'm just a weirdo that way. But those are beautiful days, too. But it really is a frame of mind thing Mm -hmm. with gratitude. Like you can wake up in the morning and you can look at your day and say, oh, here we go again. Oh, I got this. I got that. Or you can be thankful and joyful for having a little bit yes. of busyness in your life. Yes. Perspective. Are, oh, yeah. Absolutely. So before we get into the back and forth here with the Bible reading, I just wanted to touch real quick on you're getting ready to get started with your groups with Well-Fed Love. Oh, not much time left before it starts. I know. And groups start Monday, this coming Monday, I am... These are in-person support This is in-person support group. There will be information online also if people want to follow along that way. While I wish everybody could be in person in support group, I recognize that's just literally not possible. Sure. So I wanted everybody to have access to the information in this course. I, this really has been a labor of love for me. I believe in this and I believe in it because I'm living proof that this will work. Maybe not for absolutely everybody, but I know, I just know in my heart that it can make a difference. And I want to build a community of people that just truly pour into each other, love each other, support each other as we continue our walk down the path. We want people to get out of their yucky mud pits Mm. and take that step out onto the other side and let us help you find your joyful life. I, I, I have people that are so jaded and don't believe that it's possible And everything in me is like, then just try me, test that, 
prove so, me wrong then. Just prove me wrong, but commit to just What I love me. is by doing it a little bit online and having the resources available online, even though yes. it is a, it's designed to be an in-person sport. It is. So by, by having that available online, you'll get the people that are wanting to see what it's all about For and sure. maybe just a little nervous about showing up to a group in right. person. Right. And yeah. that gives them the opportunity to see like, okay, some of this, like the handouts and stuff like that, it's approachable. It's engaging. It's oh, getting me to think about my situation sure. in a different light. This isn't hard stuff. No, no, but it's really, it's dedicating some time to it, right? Like yeah. your situation's not going to get better if you don't put forth any effort towards making it better. Right. You'll still be in the same situation a year from now if you don't address things that are uncomfortable today. Because as humans, what I've found, <laughs> at least what I do, I'm the kind of guy that if I hear something wrong with my car, I just turn up the radio a little right. bit. We don't, I don't want to hear it. We don't want to hear things right. that are wrong with us. Or something is it. wrong with my body. I just make allowances and I let's say my right hand is hurt. I use my left hand a little bit more mm -hmm. than I just adapt to that situation. And so many times in life, I feel like we adapt to things that are hurtful, harmful, not good mm -hmm. for us, negative. And we just adapt oh, because yeah. it's easier comfortable than putting in being yes. uncomfortable. Yes. That's like one of my favorite things to say now. And I only say that it's such a basic, it's three words, comfortable being uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. But if you sit and think about it, there's no better way to describe what it's like when you're sitting there in what I call your mud pit. Sure. And all you're doing is putting on those labels, victim, abuse victim, um, failure, unwanted, divorce, unloved, divorced, added. sinner, wicked, you name it. And you start putting all this on. So you start wearing that like this big old blanket as you sit in the mud. And then it's like your mind believes what you're wearing. I just had the vision of the little boy from the Christmas story. Oh. You know, who couldn't put his arms down because he had like 14 layers on his head. And he's like yes. waddling around. Yes. He's like, oh. Yes. But um, but that's how we get. Like we, we we get to that point where we have so many layers on. Mm -hmm. We can't function right. No. And we can't see outside of it. We become so immersed in our experiences of the past and we claim those labels and we own those labels and then it becomes something that that's all we want to talk about. Mm. And I can say this because I did that and I'm, I'm like, I feel embarrassed <laughs> saying that I did that, but I'm not going to be embarrassed. I even that's fight that. It is part of the journey. My being able to look back and say, that is what I was doing is what I feel gives me permission to lead these classes mm, because sure. I was there. Yeah. Everybody that attends is going to know that I was right there. I'm not speaking about things I don't understand. I'm not asking anybody to do something I haven't already done yeah. or wouldn't be willing to do. And truly the whole goal of this is to show people that despite circumstances, even if things don't change, a joyful life is more than possible. And I want that for people. It feels so good to put that on every day because we're going to learn 
that when we give something to Jesus, yep. he expects us to leave it there. Yeah. Because human nature, we want to pick it back up as we go walk away. Because, well, this is who I am, though. No, no, you aren't. Right. You are not. So that's going to be, that's where I will challenge people with love. For sure. That is not you. That isn't who you are. And you got to put that down and leave it there. I recognize some people aren't quite there in their journey yet. They still are sitting with it and working through it. And I get it. And they are still welcome to come to the first six-week session, but I will ask them to repeat it until they're ready to take that step and say, I want to get out of this mud. Yeah. And I'm ready to shed these things that I am not, and I'm stepping into who I am. And I'm excited to watch this happen. Mm -hmm. Like, literally, I feel excited at the thought of people coming out because I just, there's so much hurt everywhere I go. And it overwhelms me at times how many people are just broken and hurting and shattered. Mm -hmm. And we live in a world that says own that and embrace it or medicate it or this. Yeah. But nobody is telling them it does not have to be this way. You can be joyful. It's okay to be happy. Like it moves me to tears, a disservice that's done to people by putting a clinical label on it and handing them a prescription because they haven't been helped. I want to fill that void and I want to be the true help. And disclaimer, not anti-medication, but that medication will never help you if you don't address what's at the root. So I'm not afraid to go to the roots and nothing can shock me. You're not going to change my mind about the fact that I love you and I'm glad that you're in this class. I don't care what you say or share with me. I will feel the same. And in fact, I'm going to love you even harder when you share the hard stuff. Yeah. So that's a little bit about what's coming up. Yeah. And that's going to be going on on Monday nights in Greenville, Michigan at at Fruit Fruit Farms. And that's going to be at 630 to 8 8 p.m. And then you have a Wednesday morning group that's also at Fruit Farms. And that one's from 9 to 1030. 9 to 1030. And then we have an New Hope Church in Mm -hmm. Belding. Uh, So that's going to be from 630 until 8. Yes. So there's two different physical locations with three different times. So we will have the link down below Mm -hmm. to Heidi's website. There's information there. You can just look on there for the link to the groups page. But if you're interested in just checking it out, if you're interested in attending, if you're interested in praying for us, if you're interested in maybe you're on the other side and you Mm. realize that these groups have potential and power to change someone's life and you feel led to donate just to help keep these groups free for everybody that's there. We don't have a lot of expenses involved with this, but there are some little things that we want to do to to make the group enjoyable for people and and that sort of thing. So if you find that in your heart, all of those links to all of that stuff will be down below and on Heidi's website. On that last thing, I have found the hardest thing in the whole wide world Mm. is to put out there a request for financial support. It's even hard for me to say this here. It goes against my nature, but I am going to say that I am absolutely determined that there will never be a cost for anyone Mm -hmm. to ever attend these sessions ever. Money will never be a reason why somebody can't attend. They're not going to get charged for their supplies. They're not going to get charged for their 
booklets and workbooks and sure. all that stuff. I am so determined, which means that uh, dear husband of mine and myself, we have been covering all expenses and um, we pray over it and we're not upset about that. But I also have to openly admit there's been some people that have just so loved us, have donated towards us. And I can't even tell you how helpful that is. And it gets poured into this group and to support this group and to make this successful. And it helps me to be able to continue on looking at this as this is my full-time job is how I see it. Wherever God takes this, I am ready for it. So any support, whether it's financial prayer support, I will ask everybody to pray over this because I believe in this. Ask for God to be present, to pour his spirit out inside those walls and over those people and to bless the work that people do. So God Mm. can be there saying, I have this beautiful, joyful life for you because I love you so much. Yeah. And when people all of a sudden experience that and they feel that for the first time, I promise you, Mm. they're never going to want to go back. Yeah. Well, on that note, let's jump into prayer because prayer does change things. Prayer is important and it's a part of our podcast every time we do one because it's the right way to get set off on uh, set off on our journey. Yes. So. Don't forget to throw River's name in there. It, it weighs yeah, on my heart today to say so, prayers over Little River. So yeah, if you're the praying kind, we have some dear friends of ours that have a little girl that is going through cancer treatment, radiation, and is just a warrior. Mm-hmm. She she's a is tiny what, little, a little peanut, one one and a half two. years old. Yeah, she, mom and dad are are tired and heavy. Laden. I'll, I'll yeah. use that. They, no, they're, the, yeah, the they're burdened. Emotional with this. aspect of it all because as a man, we want to mm-hmm. protect our family and we want to just make sure everything is right. And I think it's hard when things are completely out of our control like that. And even for a mom, the yes. mom wants when her little girl our, to. Our kiddos mm-hmm. sick or hurting or suffering and going through scary things, yep. we carry that. And we feel that in everything in our being aches to trade places with them. And it's just, this is their life right now, 24-7, and they're frequently, they have to drive back and forth to a specialty hospital. So just remember, sweet, sweet little River, she is a little firecracker of joy. But um, this round of treatments I've heard is really affecting her. Mm -hmm. And this is the first. Um, She's gone through everything else well, but they are seeing the signs of what chemo can do to a body. So let's just lift them up. Absolutely. Father God, we don't understand everything here on earth. Man, we try so hard to. We try to put things in a box. We try to put labels on things. We try to explain things away so that our minds can understand. And then there comes moments like meeting this little girl river, meeting her parents, really getting to know their heart and not understanding why. Why does this little precious soul have to go through that walk? And it's not for us to understand. It's beyond anything we can comprehend. And your ways are so much bigger than ours. That doesn't stop 
the questions inside of our hearts. So today I just ask for peace inside of the hearts and minds that have questions, the hearts and minds that may shake a fist at you, the hearts and minds that may yell at you. And I want you to just give them the peace that you're there, you're in control, and that you know exactly what's going to happen next. And not just next, but you know a hundred moves on the chessboard from now, you know exactly how all of this is going to unfold. Surprise us, God. Surprise us with miracles. Surprise us with your way. Yes. Because it is so much greater than ours. So, Father God, bless our reading today. Bless everyone who's listening. Man, we love uh, people that have just taken a little sliver out of their day to listen to us, mm-hmm. go back and forth, yes. listen to the Bible, and uh, hopefully either shed a tear, maybe laugh a little, and just go away from this refreshed and renewed. Yes. So thank you, Lord, for this opportunity, and uh, bless all of our listeners. And I ask this all in your holy name, I pray. Amen. Amen. All right. Yes. And just one last quick yeah, little note yeah. on River and their family, but broaden those prayers to include her grandmother who Absolutely. is in dialysis three times a week mm. and is waiting for a kidney in order for her life to be spared also. So the family is not just dealing with one crisis. Mm. And um, her grandmother is like my age and um, yeah. she is hurting and she's suffering and she's a lovely woman of faith. But um I just ask for healing for her too, so she can be fully present like she wishes to for a granddaughter. So, all right. So now we're going to bounce right into the reading, and Heidi's going to start out here. Where are you reading today? I'm reading in Matthew 24. If you're following along and you read the most recent recording that we have out there, this is a continuation, and it's where Jesus is talking about the return. And answering some questions people had about this, and quite honestly, I am absolutely fascinated. So we're going to start reading at verse 36. But the exact day and hour, no one knows that, not even heaven's angels, not even the Son, only the Father knows. The arrival of the Son of Man will take place in times like Noah's. Before the great flood, everyone was carrying on as usual, having a good time right up to the day Noah boarded the ark. They knew nothing until the flood hit and swept everything away. The son of man's arrival will be like that. Two men will be working in the field. One will be taken, one left behind. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and one left behind. So stay awake, alert. You have no idea what day your master will show up, but you do know this. You know that if the homeowner had known what time of night the burglar would arrive, he would have been there with his dogs to prevent the break-in. Be vigilant just like that. You have no idea when the Son of Man is going to show up. Who here qualifies for the job of overseeing the kitchen? A person the master can depend on to feed the workers on time each day. Someone the master can drop in on unannounced and always find him doing his job. A God-blessed man or woman, I tell you. It won't be long before the master will put this person in charge of the whole operation. But if that person only looks out for himself, and the minute the master is away, does what he pleases, 
abusing the help and throwing drunken parties for his friends, the master is going to show up when he least expects it, and it won't be pretty. He'll end up in the dump with the hypocrites, out in the cold shivering, teeth chattering. I really love reading uh, chapter 24 in Matthew. I love Jesus telling us and instructing us and teaching us about when it is that he's going to return. And it says even in here that the son doesn't even know that only the father does. Part of me wonders if because he is himself saying this as he's present here and confined by this human body, is that why he doesn't know the actual day? Because he is God, but yet he was fully human and the human body and the human mind just can't even comprehend the vastness of God, cannot understand God's will and his timing and his plans. So I've often wondered, is that, you know, how could the son who is both fully God and fully man not know the day and time? And I think that's because of the human to him, I would imagine, because he's not separate. And that's this whole God stuff that I don't understand. God help me. Um, but I read this, and I know I hear so many Christians talking about the end times lately. And I can understand it. There's been like a revival that we see going on sure. around us. Yep. And I get excited at that. I love it. But be careful with it and make sure it's not just empty emotion that you get carried away from, but understand mm. yeah. where it's coming from and what your belief is about it. But Jesus is really clear here that if they're calling you to come see Jesus, he's come, that's false. Nobody's going to have to go anywhere to see him. Mm. Nobody will miss it. Every single person will see that. We also have no idea the when, the where, the how. We can't comprehend that. But he also is saying that before he comes, it's going to be like in the days before Noah. When we remember what things were like in Noah's time, it was awful. It was chaos, cruelty, people arguing, people fighting. So I love that you brought up the word come because it's actually in the pause here with Eugene Peterson. He wrote something that's titled Surprising Us in the Ordinary. Mm. Come is a gospel verb. The distinctive biblical and Christian message is not that God is, but that he comes and he's going to come again because that's the very nature of God to come. That's his basic character. He comes. This is what God does. He's not a professor who delivers ideas to us. He's not a social worker who arranges discussion groups among us to help us raise our standard of living. He isn't a government agent bringing the latest set of regulations so that we can stay out of jail. He comes. He arrives. He shows up. He comes the way a neighbor arrives at our door, knocks, enters our house, and sits down with us over a cup of coffee. God has been doing this for a long time. Our Bibles report his comings. He's still doing it. Jesus Christ is the primary way in which we recognize both that God comes and the way that he comes. We look for his coming in the sensational, but he keeps surprising us in the ordinary. He comes to us in our pain, in our doubt, in our families, in our work. There's no place where he may not turn up, no time when he may not sneak in. 
Christ, the thief. And every time he comes to us and we receive him, we're further and better prepared to meet him at his final coming, the arrival that will complete everything that we understand as history. Hmm. I like, I love the pauses that he has and what he, how he fleshes it out and describes and goes a little deeper, like even taking a specific word. Um, One thing that I was going to mention in everybody's, not everybody, but I'm hearing more and more people like, oh, you know, Jesus is coming in the end times and, and this and that, which has brought up a lot of discussion about pre-trib, post-trib, you know, I'm going to be taken before that all happens. I hear a lot of people that are on that side. It's like, oh, I'm so thankful I'm a believer because I'll be taken up to heaven before the hard times comes. And I'm like, I'm not sure where that Mm. for sure comes from because it's not what I'm reading and what Jesus said. But he said literally in our last reading, this is going to be trouble on a scale beyond what the world has ever seen or will see again. If these days of trouble were left to run their course, nobody would make it. This is all before his coming. Mm -hmm. And then he says, following those hard times, the sun's going to fade and the moon will climb. I mean, think of that. The stars are going to fall. And then he's going to arrive like the entire sky will be filled with his coming and the angels. I mean, I just, I've got like chills just mm-hmm. thinking of this. And then God's people will be taken to him. We are going to be here and present for the hard times. Jesus said it. My fear is these people who are so determined to be the ones that are going to be taken before the hard times are going to have a rough go mm-hmm. of maintaining their faith through the hard times. Yeah. So I want to encourage people to just keep reading this, study this, and take this in. Jesus didn't say we would be spared the hard times. He said he'll be there. It won't last long enough for us not to make it, but he'll be back and we will be taken up to heaven with him. But we're not going to be spared the hard times. And I I don't know why. It just laid on my mind because I've heard so many people say, I'm so glad I'm a Christian and going to heaven. I won't have to go through it. Yeah, we will. So here's a couple questions to think about for this passage here in Matthew. How can we stay spiritually awake and ready for unexpected events in life? So how can we stay spiritually awake and ready for those unexpected events that happen in life? And number two, what's one thing that you can do today to prepare for the future, spiritually speaking? And if you're listening to this podcast, I'm going to dare say that's one thing that you can do today. Yes. Getting a little bit of Bible in, right? Getting in the Word. Absolutely. It doesn't have to be a big, complicated, deep dive study, knowing the Greek root words and the It doesn't have to be a production. It doesn't have to be a plan. It doesn't have to. I mean, there's weeks we missed last week because I was out of town and I Mm -hmm. honestly, I just did not have the time to put together a podcast episode because I was getting ready to leave for the running thing. And we have to be flexible, but it's also uh, what are you doing today, right? To put, to further your spiritual walk. Right. Just open up the word and, and listen for God as you read. If you miss a day, it's okay. He's okay with that. It's okay. It's okay. What? 
But the reading but the plan cha- said every single day, if I miss one, God's not mad at me. <laughs> but the challenge is not allowing too many of those missed days to accumulate in between. Like this morning, I knew we had to do the podcast today because we had missed a week and I just felt Mm -hmm. this on me. I wanted to get in the word with you and I wanted to do this. So, all right, here we go. Romans 7. This is actually from the title of our podcast, The Battle Within Ourselves. So just listen to Paul and see if you hear any similarities with maybe some struggles or ways that you have felt about things in your own life. So I can already hear your next question. Does that mean I can't even trust what is good? That is the law? Is good just as dangerous as evil? No, again. Sin simply did what sin is so famous for doing, using the good as a cover to tempt me to do what would finally destroy me. By hiding within God's good commandment, sin did far more mischief than it could ever have accomplished on its own. I can anticipate the response that is coming. I know that all God's commands are spiritual, but I'm not. Isn't this also your experience? Yes, I'm full of myself. After all, I've spent a long time in sin's prison. What I don't understand about myself is that I decide one way, but then I act another, doing things I absolutely despise. So if I can't be trusted to figure out what is best for myself and then do it, it becomes obvious that God's command is necessary. But I need something more. For if I know the law, but I still can't keep it, and if the power of sin within me keeps sabotaging my best intentions, I obviously need help. I realize that I don't have what it takes. I can will it, but I can't do it. I decide to do good, but I don't really do it. I decide not to do bad, but then I do it anyway. My decisions, such as they are, don't result in actions. Something has gone wrong deep within me and gets the better of me every time. It happens so regularly that it's predictable. The moment I decide to do good, sin is there to trip me up. I truly delight in God's commands, but it is pretty obvious that not all of me joins in that delight. Parts of me covertly rebel, and just when I least expect it, they take charge. I've tried everything and nothing helps. I'm at the end of my rope. Is there no one who can do anything for me? Isn't that the real question? The answer, thank God is that Jesus Christ can and does. He acted to set things right in this life of contradictions where I want to serve God with all my heart and my mind, but I'm being pulled by the influence of sin to do something totally different. And friends, that's the end of the reading in Romans today. Have you ever felt that push and pull? Have you ever felt that that you know you're going to do one thing, you want to do one thing, and then minutes later you find yourself doing something completely contrary. I encourage you today. I encourage you today to understand that a hero of the faith, somebody like Paul, took the time to write down his struggle in this thing that we call the Bible 
because he wanted you to know you're not alone. It doesn't have to define exactly what Paul's thing was. I I think it's funny when I hear people uh, go off on their tangents. Let's oh, try his, to figure out what Paul's thing yeah, We need to figure it out. It doesn't matter. You know, it wasn't favorite. listed for a reason. Right? And it's because right. God didn't want people to say, oh, well, Paul had this and he, okay, so I can, I can do that too. But then it excludes everybody else, right. everything else. Right. So it is so general for a reason mm-hmm. because now everybody with their unique stories, their unique experiences can plug themselves into these verses. And all of a sudden these verses come alive for people that are dealing with addiction people that are dealing with maybe an addiction to sexual Mm -hmm. escapades, people that are uh, dealing with stealing, robbing, whatever it may be, all these things, maybe addiction to work, depression, uh, anxiety, all all anything. And now it all fits and it becomes relatable. So good on Paul. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Um, I love I love that. I used to be one of those, like, what could it be? What was it that he wished he didn't have? And it's been everything from a speech impediment to a sexual orientation to Mm -hmm. people guessing here, there, and everywhere. If it really mattered, it would be written down. For sure. And the point is there was something in his life that he could have used as a reason to not come off his game, so to speak. And he didn't allow it to and instead turned that around and used it to help propel him even more on his journey and to trust God even more. And it's a good lesson to us to take that thing that would derail us from life and instead turn turn it around and use it and acknowledge God knows it's there and called us anyways. So there's a reason for it. And there is a comfort in that. And I know that one personally. So we do have a quick pause from Eugene Peterson, and this is for Romans chapter 7, verses 14 through 24, and it's titled, An Enemy from Within. The setting is one in which we all have abundant experience of our own. We'll have no trouble understanding what Paul is writing about. It's simply this. We live in a constant state of conflict. A fight rages within us. We determine to give up all those words and actions that promote our selfish desires. We get up in the morning, we mount a white charger, set our lance, and gallop out unto the world to live as our Lord's knight. But before the day is half over, something halts our nightly quest. Not some enemy from without, but an enemy from within. We set out to love our friends, and suddenly... We discover ourselves using them for our own gain. We set out to practice forgiveness. And suddenly we catch ourselves plotting revenge. Despite our resolution to obey the commandments, we disobey them. A war rages within us. And at times it seems a losing battle. Is there no one to help us, we wonder? Or are we left alone to fight this battle ourselves? And Romans 8 will be the answer to that question. (laughs) So we will see you guys next time for Romans 8 and the answer to some of those questions. So 
Yeah, I love it when Eugene Peterson throws his two cents into the ring. and Yeah, he wrote that one because absolutely. he knew I was going to hear it. Mm. There was something in there specifically. Um, the part about revenge. Uh, I can honestly have say... Have you been plotting revenge on me again? Not you, dear okay. husband. <laughs> but I recognize and I can see when I first initially started speaking openly about some of my experiences... I really struggled with a part of me, and I will admit this, I was seeking some revenge. Mm. I'm ashamed of that part of it now. I didn't recognize it as that in the beginning. I, I was convinced, you know, I've got holy good reasons and, you know, what they're doing and have done is so wrong and somebody's got to talk about it. But my human motives, I wanted them to pay. I wanted them to hurt. I wanted them to be ashamed. I wanted to hurt them. Mm-hmm. I wanted them to look at me and say, oh my goodness, what else is she going to say? What else is she going to reveal? And I'm ashamed of that. And I've asked forgiveness of that because I look at it now and I'm often brought to tears about the people that are in that place. Those people that I used to want revenge on, I now desperately want them to know Jesus. I want them to be able to stand before God. I want them to be taken up to heaven when Jesus returns. And it's a far different thought process and a far different attitude towards them than I had when I started. And I'm thankful that God worked on me through that process. And I'm to the point where it's like, I don't want revenge. Mm. I don't want their destruction. I don't want them destroyed. And I don't want them hurt. What I want them to have is restoration. And I want them to have grace. And I want them to know love. And I want them to know the real God and the real Jesus. That's what I want for them now. And it's a powerful thing when God can take you from what the world and so many humans said, I'm justified in feeling you absolutely should feel that way. And humanly speaking, taking God out of it, okay, I can understand that. But I don't have the luxury of taking God out of it mm-hmm. because I am God's. I belong to him. Yeah. I am God's child. Yeah. I don't have the luxury of thinking with that human mind that simply wanted revenge. And um, so thank you, Eugene Peterson, mm. for <laughs> knowing that Heidi was going to hear what you had to say and yeah. throwing that in there. And I will openly say I was very guilty of that. And um, yeah, if anybody from that denomination is hearing it, I do ask your forgiveness for the attitude of heart I had towards you for a while. And that I want you to know that I love you and I pray for you. And I sure hope that I get to see you in heaven because it's going to be a beautiful place. Mm-hmm. That's all. Amen. And on that note, we are going to jump in the Wayback Machine, start this thing up. It's a little bit of a jalopy, but we get it going every time. (laughs) I know, you crank it. We got it good. And we are going to head back to Psalms. And we are in Psalm chapter 58 today. We are reading in 58. So you and your jalopy, I kind of had it pictured as Herbie, the love bug I think it was. (laughs) Okay, uh, Psalm 58. Is this any way to run a country? Is there an honest politician in the house? Behind the scenes, you weave webs of deceit, and behind closed doors, you make deals with demons. The wicked crawl from the wrong side of the cradle, and the first words out of the womb are lies. 
Poison, lethal, rattlesnake poison drips from their forked tongues, deaf to threats, deaf to charm, and decades of wax built up in their ears. God smash their teeth to bits and leave them toothless tigers. Let their lives be buckets of water spilled and all that's left is a damp stain in the sand and let them be trampled grass worn smooth by the traffic. Let them dissolve into snail slime, be a miscarried fetus that never sees sunlight. Before what they cook up is half done, God, throw it out with the garbage. The righteous will call up their friends when they see the wicked get their reward. Serve up their blood in goblets as they toast one another, everyone cheering. It's worth it to play by the rules. God's handing out trophies and tending the earth. It's worth it to play by the rules. Mm. So it reminds me, I think we were just talking about this yesterday. And because, um, yes, I think it was yesterday because I had written a blog and I was, I just wanted to talk about churches that have lost their first love. And as soon as I read that, it's like, those are God's rules to love me above all mm. and then to love others like I love you. And that all the commandments that we have are there because we need to love our neighbor. And I recognize you can take the label of God or Jesus or Christian out of the Ten Commandments and make them secular. And if society lived by those, it would be a beautiful world. Mm, yes. Beautiful. Yeah. That's our God. That's what our God wants for us is this beautiful life where people are loving each other. I don't understand why people look at the Ten Commandments as something that ruins their fun and makes life hard and difficult. It's so easy. You know, not being a liar should be easy. It should be, you know, not being a jealous person and envious of your neighbor. What's so bad about that one? Um, Lying, cheating, robbing, stealing. Murder. Murder. All of it pretty good not to murder it is it is such basic things in it's all to just help us love each other better and we've got so caught up in rules and regulations and all of these things and it just grieves me like literally grieves me that churches are teaching things in a way that makes people think that they have to every day wake up and try harder and work harder and earn this and do better and um and it leads to an attitude that your actions are causing your salvation to be worked out because i promise you they're not and um and it causes you to be judgmental towards people that don't do the same thing or to see yourself as better and it's destructive to people and we read about how god feels about people that lead people astray. They get caught up in rules and regulations and they judge people and they're not treating people with love. And I'm not angry at these people, but it's like, open your eyes and see. God doesn't have a place for you if you live your life that way. He just doesn't. 
so weird. I get emotional about the Bible. I've never read the Bible and gotten emotional <laughs> before, but I love it because that means it's real. And it's alive. Very much. Yeah. It's more than just words on the paper. It's uh, the way that you're choosing to live your life. It's what you believe in. It's uh, your faith. It's your foundation. And we hope that through this, maybe some of our listeners get to feel that same connection, that relationship. Oh, that it's beautiful. It is beautiful. I'm. People have made it so complicated. Like, you have to go to these Bible studies here, and you have to know these root words, and you need to know how to exegete the scriptures. And Jesus didn't intend that. Jesus used common people using common language to tell people about him. And churches need to get back to that. Put their King James down and start talking to people. Yeah. Just start talking to people. I think so many times we we lose the little element of love and care, right? When we focus foundation. so much on the regulation and the rules and the this is how we make the sausage and all that and and right and Jesus is like oh, I just want you to yeah. come sit at the table and feel yeah. welcome here. God gave us a blueprint for building his church. Yeah. And what's number 1? What's the first thing? Love me. And what's the second one? Love, love other people. That's the foundation. Mm -hmm. So ask yourself, does your church have a solid foundation? Mm -hmm. Is that what it is? Love. Because if it's not, it's not God's house and he's not going to bless it. Mm -hmm. No matter how good your intent may be, Yeah. if you're lacking that foundation of love, God's not going to bless that church. And yeah. it's hard to say that because there's a probably a lot of churches whose foundation is not love. All right. So now to end the day, I'm going to be in Numbers, chapter 26 and 27. Oh, and good. I did a quick little pre-reading. I've got a lot of names here. <gasps> uh, we have a census that's going on on the plains of Moab. Now, you know, I get it. Sometimes we may want to just kind of gloss over these censuses and stuff, right? But think about, put yourself in the shoes of someone's name who may be coming up here that I'm going to read. Put yourself in their shoes and really think how important it was to be included in this sentence, to be named, to be recognized, and to be included in all of this. So... And remember that God knows you Absolutely. by name. Yes. In his book, your name is in there. Yes. And hopefully somebody can pronounce it when it gets time for that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right. So here we are. We're at chapter 26, and this is in Numbers. Thanks again for joining along with us today. So chapter 26. After the plague, God said to Moses and Eleazar, son of Aaron the priest, number the entire community of Israel by families. Count every one who is 20 years and older who is able to serve the army of Israel. Obeying God's command, Moses and Eleazar, the priest, addressed them on the plains of Moab at Jordan Jericho. Count off from age 20 and older. The people of Israel who came out of the land of Egypt 
were Reuben, Israel's firstborn. The sons of Reuben were Hanak and the Hanakite clan, Palu and the Paluite clan, Hezron and the Hezronite clan, and Carmi and the Carmite clan. These made up the Reubenite clans. They numbered 43,730. The son of Palu, Eliab. The sons of Eliab were Nemuel, Dathan, and Abiram. These were the same Dathan and Abiram community leaders from Korah's gang, who rebelled against Moses and Aaron in the Korah rebellion against God. The earth opened its jaws and swallowed them along with Korah's gang, who died when the fire ate them up all 250 of them. After all these years, there's still a warning sign, but the line of Korah did not die out. There's God's grace. Mm. As soon as I saw those names, I'm like, wait, we read about them and they were swallowed up, but God's grace spared those that, no, this is an example to learn from. We're not wiping out everyone for the sins of these 250. The sons of Simeon by clans, Nemuel and the Nemulite clan, Jamin and the Jamanite clan, Jachin and the Jachinite clan, Zerah and the Zeharite clan, Shal and the Shalite clan. These were the clans of Simeon. They numbered 22,200 men. The sons of Gad by clans, Zephon and the Zephonite clan, Haggai and the Haggite clan, Shuni and the Shunite clan. Osni and the Osnite clan, Eri and the Erite clan, Arodi and the Erodite clan, Areli and the Erolite clan. <laughs> These were the clans of God. They numbered 40,500 men. Ur and Onan were sons of Judah who died early on in Canaan. The sons of Judah by clans were Shelah and the Shelanite clan, Perez and the Perizzite clan, Zerah and the, guess what, the Zerahite clan. The sons of Perez were Hezron and the Hezronite clan, Hamul and the Hamalite clan. These were the clans of Judah, and they numbered 76,500. The sons of Issachar by clans were Tola and the Tolite clan, Puah and the Puite clan, Jashub and the Jashubite clan, Shimron and the Shimronite clan, and these were the clans of Issachar, and they numbered 64,300. The sons of Zebulun by clans were Sered and the Seredite clan, Elon and the Elonite clan, Jalil and the Jalilite clan. These were the clans of Zebulun. They numbered 60,500. The sons of Joseph by clans through Manasseh and Ephraim. Through Manasseh were Maker and the Makerite clan. Now Maker was the father of Gilead. Gilead and the Gileadite clan. The sons of Gilead were Aezer and the Aezerite clan. Helek and the Helekite clan. Azrael and the Azraelite clan. Shechem and the Shechemite clan. Shemida and the Shemidaite clan. Mm-hmm. Hefer and the Heferite clan. And Zelophehad, son of Hefer, had no sons, only daughters. Their names were Mala, Noah, Hogla, Milka, and Tizra. I love that the daughters were named. Yeah. They were listed. I find it interesting in that Bible. one of their names was Noah. Yes, me too. They were the clans of Manasseh. They numbered 52,700. 
the sons of Ephraim by clans, Shuthalah in the Shuthalite clan, Becker in the Beckerite clan, Tehan in the Tehanite clan. The sons of Shuthalah were Eran and, and the Eranite clan, and these were the clans of Ephraim, and they numbered 32,500. These are all of the sons of Joseph by their clans. The sons of Benjamin by clans were Bela in the Belaite clan, Ashbel in the Ashbelite clan, Ahiram in the Ahiramite clan, Shufam in the Shufanite clan, Hufam in the Hufamite clan. <laughs> the sons of Bela through Ard and Naaman, Ard in the Ardite clan, and Naaman in the Naamanite clan. These were the clans of Benjamin. They numbered 45,600. And remember, these are just men, right? We're not talking about kids. We're not talking about serving in the army. Yes. Yep. The sons of Dan by clan. Man, that's an easy, easy one. Shuham and the Shuhamite clan. And these are the clans of Dan. All Shuhamite clans, they numbered 64,400. The sons of Asher by clan. Imna in the Imnite clan, Ishvi in the Ishvite clan, Beriah in the Berite clan, the sons of Beriah were Heber in the Heberite clan, Malkiel in the Malkiite clan, Asher also had a daughter, Sarah. Hmm. These were the clans of Asher. They numbered 53,400. I found it interesting that every once in a while in the listing... They mentioned a daughter, and I find it interesting yeah. as to what the reason for that would have been. Mm. Well, that'll give you something mm. to look up this week, right? Yes. The sons of Naphtali by clans were Jazil and the Jazilite clan, Guni and the Gunite clan, Jezer and the Jezerite clan, Shillam and the Shillamite clan, and these were the clans of Naphtali. They numbered 45,400. The total number of the people of Israel, 601,730. God spoke to Moses. Divide up the inheritance of the land based on population. A larger group gets a larger inheritance. A smaller group gets a smaller inheritance. Each gets its inheritance based on the population count. Make sure that the land is assigned by lot. Each group's inheritance is based on population, the number of names listed in its ancestral tribe divided among many, and the few by lot. These are the numberings of the Levites by clan. Gershon and the Gershonite clan, Kohath and the Kohathite clan, Merari and the Merariite clan, The Levite clans also included the Libnite clan, the Hebronite clan, the Malite clan, the Mushite clan, the Korite clan. Kohath was the father of Amram. Amram's wife was Jochebed, a descendant of Levi, born into the Levite family during the Egyptian years. Jochebed bore Aaron, Moses, and their sister Miriam to Amram. Aaron was the father of Nadab and Abihu, Eliezer and Ithamar. However, Nadab and Abihu died when they offered unauthorized sacrifice in the presence of God. The numbering of Levite males, one month and older, came to 23,000. They hadn't been counted in with the rest of the people of Israel because they didn't inherit any land. 
These are the ones numbered by Moses and Eleazar the priest. The people of Israel counted in the plains of Moab at Jordan Jericho. Not one of them had been among those counted by Moses and Aaron the priest in the census of the people of Israel, taken in the wilderness of Sinai. For God had said to them, Mm. They will die, die in the wilderness. Not one of them will be left except for Caleb, son of Jephunneh, and Joshua, son of Nun. And that's the end of chapter 26. I mean... Wow. I hadn't stopped to think of that before. And yet, look at the numbers. God obviously blessed them. All their complaining and whining and in the desert and just traveling and living out there. And God blessed Mm, them. Yeah. Just, I mean... Yeah, as soon as I read that, I'm like, that's right. And it's crazy, like not one except for those two clans there. Right. Yeah. All right, friends, we are powering through. We're going to end here with chapter 27. So thanks again for joining along today. We appreciate you taking a little time out of your day. This one is titled The Daughters of Zelophehad. (laughs) Zelophehad? I don't know. It's, you know, it's one of those words, right? The daughters of Zelophehad showed up. Their father was the son of Hefer, son of Gilead, son of Maker, son of Manasseh, belonging to the clans of Manasseh, son of Joseph. The daughters were Mala, Noah, Hogla, Milcah, and Tizra. They came to the entrance of the tent of meeting, and they stood before Moses and Eleazar the priest, and before the leaders and the congregation, and said, Our father died in the wilderness. He wasn't part of Korah's rebel anti-God gang. He died for his own sins, and he left no sons. But why should our father's name die out from his clan just because he had no sons? So give us an inheritance among our father's relatives. Moses brought their case before God. God ruled. Zelophehad's daughters are right. Give them land as an inheritance. Among their father's relatives, give them their father's inheritance. Then tell the people of Israel, if a man dies and leaves no son, give his inheritance to his daughter. If he has no daughter, give it to his brothers. If he has no brothers, give it to his father's brothers. If his father had no brothers, give it to the nearest relative so that the inheritance stays in the family. This is the standard procedure for the people of Israel as commanded by God through Moses. God said to Moses, Climb up into the Abiram Mountains and look over at the land that I am giving to the people of Israel. When you've had a good look, you'll be joined to your ancestors in the grave. Yes, you also along with Aaron, your brother. This goes back to the day when the congregation quarreled in the wilderness of Zin, and you didn't honor me in holy reverence before them in the matter of the waters, the waters of Meribah, meaning quarreling, at Kadesh in the wilderness of Zin. Moses responded to God, Let God, the God of the spirits of everyone living, set a man over this community to lead them, to show them the way ahead and to bring them back home so that God's community will not be like a sheep without a shepherd. God said to Moses, Take Joshua the son of Nun. The Spirit is in him, 
and place your hand on him. Stand him before Eleazar the priest in front of the entire congregation and commission him with everyone watching. Pass your magisterial authority over him so that the whole congregation of the people of Israel will listen obediently to him. He is to consult with Eleazar the priest who, using the oracle Urim, will prayerfully advise him in the presence of God. He will command the people of Israel, the entire community, and all of their comings and goings. Moses followed God's orders. He took Joshua and stood him before Eleazar the priest in front of the entire community. He laid his hands on him and commissioned him following the procedures that God had given Moses. And friends, that's the end of chapter 27. And I have a slight pause here with Eugene Peterson. I wonder what he's going to talk about because something just really made me feel happy when oh, you read Oh, good, that, so. good. So this is for verses 12 through 23. So about the middle of the chapter there where he talks about Joshua. So Joshua's name means God saves and he lived up to it wonderfully. He was one of only two spies who believed that the Lord would save the nation of Israel as they battled their way through Canaan, taking the land that was promised them. Every time Joshua's name was spoken, it was a reminder of the saving work of God. His faith in God's promises and his courage in battle distinguished him for leadership, a fit choice to follow in Moses' footsteps. We also have a name to live up to, you and I. As Christians, we bear the name of Jesus everywhere we go. Interestingly, the name of Jesus is a derivation of Joshua. Both mean God saves. As spies in a foreign land, we sometimes see only the giants and not the God who has promised to deliver us from them. And not only that, God also promises to deliver us into a promised land filled with substance and sweetness. That is the fullness of God's salvation. It's not only deliverance from something, but also deliverance to something. He not only delivers us from sin, but he also delivers us into a land of salvation that's flowing with milk and honey. And that, friends, is the end of chapter 27. So what did uh, what did you have to say there? You had something that... The daughters. Ah, uh, sure. Yeah. Um, if you've been following along at all, <laughs> you have noticed at times where I've really openly expressed my not understanding the treatment of women. Mm, and sure. how does that show any kind of worth or value of women. And sometimes it was really difficult for me to wrap my head around it and I didn't understand it. A lot of that is because we don't have a culture that was anything like what they had. Yeah, And that's why culture and context is incredibly important to understand when you read the Bible. Times were drastically different as far as the roles that men played and women played in a culture. I have been asking God so many times to just help me to understand that you truly have just as much love for your daughters as you did the men. And God gave that to me in this reading. Mm. The daughters came and said, 
our dad didn't die because he took part of rebellion. He he died for his own sins in the sure. wilderness, but he had no sons. Is it fair that his name is done because he had daughters? In that culture, that's what would have happened. Yeah. That name would have been done and those daughters would have been left destitute. I mean, they had nothing. They had no dowry anymore. They had just nothing simply because they were women in that culture. And what did God do? He said, Moses, they are right. And those women were given the birthright of their father. I'm like, just like, thank you, God, for this reading today. I've been waiting on an answer and the proof of your love for women. And it was spoken profoundly here in the census, in the numbering, when they were given the promise, God kept the promise to their father. And it was given to his mm-hmm. daughters. Yeah. They mattered. Yeah. And God showed everyone how much they mattered. Because I bet you there was a lot of men that would have been willing to say, oh, I'll take that land. It's up for grab. Nobody has it. There's no sons to take it. Yeah. But there were daughters and God said, it's theirs. Thank you, God. Mm. God loved women. And remember that even when you read in the Old Testament, and it may not make sense. It's okay to wrestle with it, mm-hmm. but take that to God. Don't just sit mad with it. So, so again, the battle within ourselves. Mm-hmm. So here we are at the end of this little journey, right? Of, yes. Of looking at this battle that we all go through. So I'm going to go through a couple quick questions before sure. we close here. These are just things to ponder on. And if you're interested, The questions will be in the comment section or in the description of the podcast. So if you want to go back and just kind of ponder on one of these questions, don't worry. You don't have to find a pen real quick to write it down. (laughs) So let's look at Romans where our podcast was titled from, right? So can you think of a time when you felt torn between doing what's right and giving into temptation? And how did you handle that? So think back to a time when you felt torn. I know what's right. There's this temptation that I've given into, but how do you handle that? And then second from that chapter, what's one way that you can seek help when you're facing internal struggles? Hmm. So really like in recovery, I know for me, I had to set up certain people, certain, you know, like, hey, I just need you to be, I'm not going to call you every day. I'm not going to wear you out, but I need to know that if I'm going to come with something crazy, I need you to be able to just listen and walk through it with me, right? I'm only looking through this because part of Well-Fed had a verse in there and I used the message Mm. as a, and it talks about, I'm not going to worry about paging through here, but it talks about use this to light the path that you're walking ahead on. Just, just use that as you're searching for the answers in life. God has the answers mm-hmm. right here for you. And he also has those answers in those people that you gather around you. For sure. So I want to, I just, I like that tie-in and yep. I had just read that today. It's like, oh, we're including that. And how do you know, or what do you do? If you're really having those questions and struggles, God's right here. Yeah. He says, I got you. Then in Psalms chapter 58, we have, what is your personal idea of justice and how does it align with the message that we heard in Psalm 58? So what's your personal idea of justice? 
And then next it is, how can you contribute to making the world a more just place? Mm. So I know, you know, a lot of us aren't politicians. We aren't writing the laws and that sort of thing. And it doesn't have to be that big. Get down to the, like really a micro level, right? Like what can you do to make the world a more just place for one person? Don't worry about the whole society and these big, huge questions and problems that need to be solved. Think about what can you do today to contribute to make the world a more just place for one person. And then as we ended here in Numbers 26 and 27, if you were to pass on a legacy or a lesson to the next generation, what would it be? So when you're gone, when you've passed on to the other side, what do you want your legacy to be? What do you want the lesson from your life to, how do you want that to resonate in the lives of other people that may learn about you after you've passed? And then secondly, why do you think that planning for the future is important in our relationship with God? I know that we can't predict the future Mm -hmm. and so many of us try to but why do you think planning for the future is important with our relationship Mm. with god maybe if you remember to keep in mind that your future is an eternity in heaven and if you keep that in mind as your future i would be surprised if things in your life didn't shift if your focus becomes on that i'm preparing Mm. for that future yeah it really changes things a lot so often we think of future as being retirement yeah is that really your future is it you're not done after retirement yeah you're not another you're not done when this body takes its last breath yeah so isn't that your future because you'll be there forever oh that, that like, oh, I always convict myself like, oh, no. <laughs> and so, friends, on that note, as long as you're there feeling convicted as well. Oh, I got to get busy on my <laughs> living for my yeah. future. And we're going to leave you with that. So uh, we try to put out a new episode every Friday. I know we're a little bit off uh, this week uh, because of last week's uh we're getting back. But we're getting game. back on schedule. So every Friday, look for a new episode. We appreciate that you're here. We read out of the message version because it's a paraphrase of the Bible, easy to understand, mm-hmm. inviting. And we encourage you to get your Bible yes. and get it out and start looking up things in your Bible. It doesn't have to be the message version translation. We're not the Bible police. Okay. Like, I mean, <laughs> the Bible. <laughs> I mean, but seriously, like, You know, so many people can get really, really hung up on one version or another. And I'm of the mind, I don't care what avenue that you're taking to get a little closer to God or to get some Bible reading. Mm. Just get it. Get it. Is God judging that Bible or is he judging your heart? Oh, now there's there's a question to lead off on. So (laughs) on that note, friends. Thank you so much for choosing to spend a little bit of time with Heidi and I today. We appreciate you. If you need prayer, don't mm-hmm. hesitate to please reach out to us. Please. Whether it's on Facebook and it's open 
whether it's a private message, mm-hmm. we're not hard to find, right. we're not hard to get a hold of. There will be links and everything down in the comments in the description. Yes. Please get a hold of us Please if you do. need prayer. And we you want... don't have to even be specific. We will no. just a general prayer. We don't have to know details. We will. We just want to walk with you prayer. and support you on whatever part of the journey you're on. Yes. So, and no judgment here. So, friends, thanks again. It's been great. We will see you next time on this journey through the message. Bye.